You hear that? Hello, hello. So this is uh, kind of awkward standing up right here like this. It's you guys here and you guys here. I've got this profile I was trying to hide. But it seems to be a common profile in this church. We've got a few other people looking like that. Looking good, too, by the way. Good. I'm talking good. So, uh, yeah, good morning. I've got to do one little tech thing here. See if it'll... Oh, it's going to answer me. Look at that. Don't you love it when it works? That is awesome. All right, so the name of the sermon is The Opening of Salvation. And I was kind of excited about the title because I'm a rookie preacher, right? So you get all into the title, and then I go, no, no, that's not right. How about the unfolding? How about the, how about the ripening, the awakening? And I'm thinking of this flower that's like, and it like goes, right? It just kind of opens up. And then I'm like, no, no, that's not right. It's the, it's the maturing. It's the fulfillment. It's the inevitable progression. It's the marching. I don't know what to do. So I don't really have a very good title, okay? But I was thinking, since I've seen Star Wars a couple times in the last two weeks, that I wish I was a Jedi preacher. Like, would that be awesome? Because what I want to be able to do is go, and this illustration pops up right here. Like, and you guys see it. And we stayed in Fort Collins for a week, and uh, this little house, the big house we stayed at, a couple doors down from Kim's parents, there were these rose bushes there. And they were, you know, it's December, right? It's 10 degrees in Fort Collins. The wind is blowing. It's cold. And uh, these rose bushes, are a couple dead leaves hanging off. And what I want to do is have you guys picture those rose bushes and then turn this place to 10 degrees cold and the wind's blowing. And then all of a sudden to start the time loop. And the days go by, days go by. And all of a sudden it gets to be a little bit warmer and a little bit warmer. And after a little bit, maybe some sprouts come up and there's a bud there, right? And there's this rose bud. And then by the time we hit summer, it's rained on us a couple times. A few things have happened. That rose bud goes and starts to open up. Now, I'm old enough to appreciate flowers. Some of you guys are way too young, but flowers are amazing. And we disrespect flowers way too much, okay? Because they're just beautiful. So this flower opens up. Then I think to myself, that's not it. Because what I'm trying to get at is this story of salvation it culminates with Jesus being born. Christmas, right? That's the flower popping open. But it's been going for thousands of years. I've been waiting for this moment when it all pops together. So then I think maybe it's actually a song is the way that might work. And I want you to picture you guys in a bar, which a lot of you guys can picture yourself well too well in, okay? And we're in this bar, and it's kind of noisy, and the glasses are clinking, and things are going on. And there's going to be live music at this bar. And so all of a sudden, the piano starts hitting. And the conversations keep going. And the piano hits a little bit more. And the conversations hit a little bit more. And then finally, we get to the hallelujah, right? And that, if you think about the thousands of years it takes to get Christ to explode on the scene, this opening of salvation, it might kind of be like that as well. So here's, we're in the bar now. Okay, it goes like this. You knew it wasn't going to work. Doggone it. Watch this. Wait for it. Oh, one, two, three, and... We're in the bar. It 
Story's coming. Prophecy here. Psalm here. A little picture of who Jesus is going to be here. Hundreds of years are going by. He's coming. They don't know where he's coming from. They don't know what he's going to look like. Is that him? No, that's not him. Hallelujah. And then just like that flower opens, the song breaks in and the music commands the room. And all the conversations are done. And all of a sudden, boom, here's this boy. So that's the moment I want to live in for the next 20 minutes. Okay, What might salvation look like at the moment of the opening of the bloom, at the moment when the music commands the room? I want to look at that moment. I was thinking about salvation, and I was thinking we could go a lot of different ways with this. Salvation from God. Do you need salvation from God? From the wrath of God? Saved and preserved from His wrath? Salvation from our own sin? Salvation from the world? From Satan? From our own broken nature? And then when you talk about salvation, are you talking God has saved us? He is saving us now? He will save us at the last trumpet? It's all of that. So when I calculated that out, that was 21 sermons. And Matt's generous to let me talk once in a while. I don't know if he's giving me 21. I don't know. Okay, but So I couldn't do 21. So again, what does salvation look like the moment when the flower opens up or the moment when the music commands the room? Um, that's what I want to get today to. So today, I want to stay tight to the text. I want to live in Luke 2, verse 28. And I want to think on a Savior who is the flesh and the blood of salvation. The body and the bones of salvation, if you will. I want to focus on this boy. I want to focus on this Christmas moment. This entering into the world of the Son, begotten, not created, who is fully God and fully man. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like maybe this moment, Luke, 20, Luke 2, verse 28, Simeon is this old prophet who's been promised by God that he is going to get to see the salvation of God. And they bring Jesus to him, and he says he takes him up in his arms. And I think you might hold him like this, kind of, I don't know, or like this, or however you hold the baby. I have this vision that that's not what Simeon did. He's an old man. He's been waiting for this baby. I think he grabs him from behind the head, and he takes him, and it says he lifted him up, and he praised God for the baby. So I have Simeon like this. Now, I know a little bit about what it means to be over 50. Just ask me about my ankle sometime. And one of the things that happens to you when you're older, as a male sometimes, is you can't stop the tears. You've been crushing them all your life. And all of a sudden, they come. So if you ever like go to a football game, and during the national anthem, look around and see that old guy who loves this country and he's got his hat over his head. You know what you might see down his face? A little tear, because he loves his country so much. It just happens. So I have Simeon here holding this baby, okay, holding this salvation. So now there was a man in Jerusalem, his name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. He's been filled with the Spirit. He's been anointed. 
He's fired up. And I know this isn't a particularly charismatic church, but this guy is loaded with the Spirit, and he is ready to go, okay? It has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took Jesus in his arms, and he blessed God, and he said, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So this baby is the salvation of God. It's the flesh, and it's the bones, and it's the intersection uh, between God and humanity. Another way to look at it is uh, what Nick read, Galatians 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why does Paul say born of a woman? Aren't all babies born of a woman? Did Paul forget that at some moment? Like, Oops, I guess I better tell him this. Could have been born of an elephant or something. I don't, you know, there's a point in that. There's a point in that. And that might have to do with the Gnostics and the Arian heresy and that it was Christ really virgin birth, all that kind of stuff. But he makes that point that, she's, that Jesus is born of a woman. To redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Father, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. What's happened in this moment of salvation is you've moved from slavery to sonship. You've moved from bondage into freedom. This salvation has transformed your life as a gift from God. You've been moved in that way. And it's one of those aspects of salvation that's really crucial. So this boy, this long-awaited one, this salvation of Israel, they've been waiting for for a long time. You get this brokenness in the garden, and then you get this almost instantaneous prophecy of what God is going to do. Because God's not surprised, right, by Adam and Eve. He's not like, oops, did that happen? Okay, He's not surprised at all, and he's got a plan. And it comes instantaneously. The coming of this boy, though, takes a long time. Through Noah and through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph in Egypt and Moses delivering them and moving, moving into the promised land and Rahab and the spies and the kings and David and Solomon and the prophecies and the destruction of Israel and the separation of Judah and the exile um, into Babylon. It takes forever. And then the, the silent period where God doesn't speak to them for like 400 years, they're like, we haven't heard anything. We don't even know what's going on in this period. And then all of a sudden, this John the Baptist, right? This coming, this baby is born, this thing that is happening. Um, what are they waiting for? In Genesis 3.15, right after the fall, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to Satan. And he says, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And you know that, right? Because you sing that. We just sang that. Did we just sing that verse? In Hark the Herald Angels, right? It says, Come, desire of nations, come, fix in us this humble home. Rise the woman's conquering seed. Bruise in us the serpent's head. Now display thy saving power. Ruin nature, now restore. Now in mystic union join thine to ours and ours to thine. Or in the hymn, O beauteous heavenly light, you shepherds shudder not with fright, but hear the angel's warning. This child now weak in infancy, our confidence and joy shall be. 
the power of Satan breaking our eternal peace making. This peace between God and us, this peace between uh, in the world here that's coming, is coming through this infant and coming through this little child. Or in the battle hymn of the Republic, let the hero born of woman crush the serpent with his heel since our God is marching on. So for the Jews and even for us as Christians, we celebrate this notion that this boy has been long planned and he's been a long time coming and he's got a mission to do. And that is to release his children from bondage, whether that's bondage under the law, whether that's bondage to our own personal sin, whether, whatever that bondage is. And to take us from being slaves, Jesus says, he who commits a sin is a slave to sin, being slaves to something, to being free, and to setting us free in that world. So we could and, and probably ought to talk about salvation for a long time. I mean, the Savior of the world, born in Bethlehem, a version for our salvation, ought rightfully to delight our souls and continually blow our mind. What is the, what is the universal symbol for the mind being blown? Does anybody know that? It's just fun to do. Do you guys want to do it together at all? Or? Okay. You just don't give a lot of reaction up here. I, I, sometimes I feel like I need to not get any amens or any hallelujahs or anything. It's getting kind of some lost looks, but that's okay. You're blowing my mind. Um, so let us take a few moments to dwell on the beauty of our Savior and the beauty of that salvation. And that's all I want to do. Today I want to highlight this baby. I want to highlight this flesh and blood, this child who's come into the world by God's grace, who will live a perfect life, who will heal and turn the world upside down, who will be convicted and killed upon a cross, buried and resurrected and ascend to the Father, and he will radically change the history of the world. This little baby is so much to us, right? And I want to think about this coming year, about just thinking about that baby. What is Christmas? What's the whole point of Christmas? It's that baby, right? And what does that mean to us? All right. So what are we to make of the birth of Jesus? What just happened when he was born? How do we wrap our heads around this piercing, shredding moment when God enters history in a radically new and shattering way? Nothing can ever be the same. See, when Jesus comes, it's all different from that. I mean, we acknowledge it a little bit because we have this B.C. thing before Christ and after Christ in the West. Like our whole calendar is based on, hey, life was this way before he came and it's after this way. Um, but it's bigger than that. It is bigger and bigger and bigger than that. And it's a shredding of it. It's just a total change of everything. So I want to give you a couple of observations from Karl Barth, uh, which we've been reading, and his commentary on Romans when he talks about the gospel. Uh, and and the, particularly the passage where he says, um, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Okay, so what is going on in that? Here's an observation from Barth. The gospel is not a truth among other truths. I might add, it's not, it's not a salvation among other salvations. And Jesus is not a savior among other saviors. It's radically different than everything else. It's not a religion. It's God coming in and breaking into history in a way that changes everything. Okay, And did you do anything in that process? No. God did it. God broke in. He sent his son. His son lived a perfect life. He died, and you're saved by his grace through that. Okay? 
Second observation from Bart. The gospel proclaims a God utterly distinct from men. Salvation comes to them from him because they are incapable as humans of knowing God and because they have no right to claim anything from God. The gospel is not one thing in the midst of other things to be directly apprehended and comprehended. It's not just an idea out there in the marketplace of ideas. Okay, It's not that. It's an actual physical moment when God breaks into history. You can believe it or not believe it. You can like it or not like it. Does it really matter? God has done what he has done. Okay, And it transcends our approval or disapproval of it or our comprehension or, or not comprehension of it. Can discomprehension be a word? Can I make that word? I kind of want to make dis, but that's okay. All right, so as Simeon raises that baby to God and praises God, he sees this mighty gift of God, and his soul and his lips respond in blessing to God, right? He holds this moment of the ripping of history open, and he's, he's holding that baby to God. I love that picture, and I want his cheeks to be warm. I want there to be tears streaming down, but I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe he's like, eh, here's the baby. <laughs> or maybe he's really weeping over that process. Um, would he not, if given a chance, affirm Paul's words in Ephesians, by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves? It is the gift of God. He holds the baby. He didn't bring the baby here. God brought the baby. And God said, you're going to get to see this, and it's a gift. And it's nothing you did. It's not your works. It's not your effort. It's not your religiosity. It's not your ability to be righteous or not to be righteous. It's God's gift to you. He saved you. Okay? And he didn't save you because you were super special. He saved you because he loves you. And because he saved you. And that's it. End of subject. Um, The other thing Bart talks about is there's these plane. There's the plane of creation. You and I live in this plane of creation, right? Where there we live and we die and we breathe and we eat and we drink and we fight and we laugh and we love and we sing and we go to Colorado and get some donuts and we do all this stuff. And it's this plane of creation that we understand. There's also an unknown plane of the world of the Father, where God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit and the seraphims and the cherubims and the angels and the heavens, and they're all doing their stuff, right? And there's that plane. And the question Bart asks is, when do those planes intersect? How do they intersect? How does God break into this world that he has created? And again, that's the moment, right? That's the baby. It's God breaking in to this world and changing the course of the world for his chosen. Okay? He says, these two worlds intersect in Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth, the historical Jesus, born of the seed of David according to the flesh. The name Jesus defines an historical occurrence and marks the point where an unknown world cuts the known world. See, it's the real Jesus really being born at Bethlehem, breaking into this world that marks God opening up us to him. And I think as Christians, we would profess that there's salvation under no other name but Christ. That that is how you might have access to the Father. That the temple curtain, when Jesus dies, is torn from the top down, okay? And we are open into the Holy of Holies, and we have access to God. We have peace with God as we are covered by the blood of the Lamb, not as we do righteous deeds. 
not as we earn anything, not as we are inherently worthy of his salvation, but as his grace pours upon us. And that's different. Last observation from Karl Barth. The gospel of the resurrection is the power of God, the disclosing and apprehending of his meaning, his effective preeminence over all gods. The gospel of the resurrection is the action, the supreme miracle by which God, the unknown God, dwelling in light unapproachable, the Holy One, the Creator and the Redeemer, makes himself known. Or as Paul says in Acts, Where, what therefore you worship in ignorance, this I set before you. Again, this breaking into the world. So as you come into the new world, I want you to not think Christmas ho-hum instead of Christmas ho-ho, right? Christmas ho-hum. I want you to think that. I want you to think, Christmas? Are you kidding? God has ripped the fabric of the universe and placed this baby before us, not because of anything we did, but because of his love for us. And it gives me such hope because God is the actor and I am the receiver. I have tried in my life to be the actor to do the right thing, to achieve, to break addiction, to do whatever the thing I needed to do. And I cannot be that actor. It doesn't mean we don't try to obey God. It doesn't mean we don't try to serve him. It doesn't mean we don't try to love him. But we recognize at some level that he is the one that has to save us. We must be saved by this powerful, amazing God who breaks into history. So let me give you one more picture, maybe two more pictures. Salvation is new clothing, the changing from filthy rags to beautiful garments. There's this perfect passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 64, where this is like, I think, one of the greatest verses in the Bible, one of the most action-packed, but I love all the verses in the Bible. And it just lays it out. It lays our condition out so well that I, I laugh when I read this sometimes. Not that it's actually funny. But sometimes you laugh at things that aren't funny, and then you feel bad because you, oh, maybe I should laugh at that. But that's actually kind of funny. Anyway, different story. God, you are indeed angry, says Isaiah, for we have sinned, and in these ways we continue, and we need to be saved. <laughs> so four powerful things he says. God, you're angry at us because we've sinned, and we're continuing to sin. You're mad at us because we're sinners. We continue to sin, and we need to be saved, Okay. There's so much recognition in those little four phrases, right? We need you to do what to history? Break in, rip it apart, open up, give us the baby, right? Give us the path to salvation, the person of Christ. Um, I love that verse. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all of our righteousnesses are filthy rags. And we won't talk about the filthy rags that they're referring to there, but... All of our righteousnesses are filthy rags. So there's this picture of new clothing, and there's this great prophetic moment when Zechariah is uh, praying, and he begins to prophesy, and the Holy Spirit speaks to him. In Zechariah 3, he says, Then the Spirit showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to impose him. So the high priest of God is standing before the angel of the Lord, and here's Satan right there going, Ah! Oh, just giving it to him, right? Because Satan's, Satan's the accuser of the brothers. And they're going at it, right? And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Is not the high priest a brand plucked from the fire? Is not Jerusalem a brand plucked from the fire? Is not the Jewish chosen people, are they not plucked from the fire? And by extension, are we not the church of Jesus Christ, 
plucked from the fire? Are we not the chosen and the elect who were to be burned but have been plucked from the fire and saved by the grace and the mercy of God? I kind of think we are. And I think that's kind of exciting, right? I think that's wonderful. And then, now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. In other words, why was Joshua plucked from the fire? Because he had these beautiful garments? Because he was without sin? Because he had done nothing wrong? He hadn't looked at anything on the internet? Or he hadn't been bitter in his words? Or he hadn't been angry? Or he hadn't stolen something? Or he hadn't been just a basic son of a biscuit? No. He was in filthy rags because he was a sinful man. Okay. Then Joshua was clothed in filthy garments, and he was standing before the angel. Then God answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you from rich robes. That is the cross of Christ perfectly. He has taken away our sin and our brokenness, and he has clothed us in the righteous robes. We are covered by the blood of the Lamb. And we respond in gratefulness to him and in obedience. And we respond not to earn anything from him, but to simply just delight in the mercy that's been given us. Uh, when Isaiah speaks of the good news of salvation, probably one of the greatest messianic prophecies is Isaiah 61, which is, just gets me pretty pumped up here. But he says in 61.10, he says, I will, same imagery, okay? I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, and as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Same imagery, right? That the filthy rags are gone, and the, the robes of righteousness have come. Okay, last image I want to give you is salvation as freedom. And I want to give you this because I want you to say, are you just making this stuff up? What does Jesus say about this? Okay, because if he's the big deal, right, what does he say about salvation? What does he say about freedom? What does he say about us being preserved and delivered and saved, right, which is what salvation is? Well, first of all, how does Jesus introduce himself to ministry as the Savior of the world? He gets this big opening, right? You remember when the Beatles went on the Ed Sullivan show? Yeah, neither do I. Okay, but we get these little moments, right, when, when people get this introduction into the universe, right? And so there's this moment here where Jesus is going to introduce himself to ministry and say, hey, here I am, Savior of the world, okay? Um, not exactly in those words, but pretty close, okay? What he does is he quotes an earlier portion of Isaiah 61, which is what I just read you about the garments of salvation, right? And so he goes into verses 1 through 3 in that, okay? So Jesus comes to Nazareth. Nazareth. I can't say the word today. I don't know what the deal is. He comes to Nazareth. Uh, where he's been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written. In other words, I don't know how you go through scrolls, but he goes through the scroll somehow. You just roll it out or something. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on Jesus. And Jesus began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So for 2,000 years, they've been waiting for this boy, this one who is going to crush the head of Satan, this one who's going to deliver the people, 
and Jesus walks into the synagogue. He pulls out that prophecy, and he says, today, it's happening. I am that boy. Okay? That is amazing. As far as self-introductions go, it might be the boldest, the most audacious, and the most mic-dropping moment, if you will, where he just goes, okay, that's it. I'm the guy. Um, Unless, of course, it's true. It's not very audacious, is it? Especially if it's true. It's just what it is. So finally, to end here, let us hear the full quote that Jesus quotes from Isaiah. His audience in the synagogue would have known it by heart. You and I probably don't. Okay? But they would have known, when he, when he started with that verse, they would have known all that comes behind it. Right? They would have had the whole chapter down. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion. And as we sang this morning, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that the Lord might be glorified. So as you come into this new year, let's not lose that baby. Let's keep our eyes on that baby. I'm easily distracted. We all might be easily distracted. But let's recognize that the birth of Christ is the most amazing moment in the history of the world. God has broken in and has given us a way to be reconciled unto him, to be back with him, to be in love with him, to delight in him, to be forgiven, to be cleansed, to be healed, and to be reconciled. And that is awesome and wonderful. So he has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. He is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. Oh, be swift my soul to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. May our souls in this next year be swift to answer him. And may our feet be full of joy as we do that. Because our God is marching on. His truth is marching on.